All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, we're going to continue our time looking at the life of Elijah. Um, we have been um, tracking through the life of this prophet. Um, just real quick, kind of summation of where we are today. Um, God calls Elijah to go to the king of Israel, a guy named Ahab, really bad dude. Um, who's married to this this woman named Jezebel, uh, who was probably worse even than King Ahab was because she was kind of the underlying current that was drawing Ahab to uh, to this foreign god to this other god, um, and so and so there's the story of Elijah coming and and calling them out and and one of the things that Elijah does in his very first interaction it says there's going to be a drought because you are not being faithful to the one true God. There is going to be a drought that's going to come into this land. And it's, going to, it's not going to rain until I say, until Elijah brings the word of the Lord, that it will rain again. And so, immediately after that moment, God calls Elijah to flee. And so he goes and he hides out in, in the wilderness. He goes and hangs out by a brook, and these ravens deliver food to him. And then at a certain point, the brook dries up. Because of the drought, the brook dries up, and so God calls Elijah to go to this pagan city, to this Gentile city called Zarephath. Uh, in the last two weeks, we've been talking about what God has done while he was there. Uh, God provides for his needs through a widow that he meets there, a widow who was at the end of, basically the end of her life, uh, or so she thought. Uh, she was out of food. She, she was preparing her last meal for her and her son, and, and God sends Elijah to them. And Elijah does this miracle. Um, it tells her that if, if she will just be faithful, then God is going to provide for her, and he and he does. And then last week we looked at how uh, the same widow then, after that scene, um, her son dies. And we walk through this moment of her questioning God and, and, and pointing the blame on God when she's in this valley. And through it we see Elijah's desperation as he calls out to God and God brings this boy back to life. Uh, this miraculous moment. And so um, we're, we're about three and a half years into this drought when we pick up in chapter 18. And um, before, we, before we read the text, I just want to kind of give you the, the players and the characters, just so as we, as we read the text, um, you kind of know what to be looking for. Um, today is, is, is very much a story um, in our passage. It's, it's a narrative. And so we're just going to pull out some, some themes. We're going to look at some of these individuals and kind of pull out some themes for their life. Um, but it's very much a story. And so um, as we go through the story, you're going to see that there are four characters in the story. Um, there's going to be Ahab, the evil king. There's going to be Jezebel, who's his wife. We're going to get introduced to a new guy named Obadiah, uh, who I'm really excited to introduce you guys to, um, because he's one of these guys that I, I never knew anything about. And um, the more I got to study Obadiah's life this week, uh, the more encouraged I was by Obadiah. Uh, and then you have Elijah, this guy that we've been following along his storyline throughout this. Um, in fact, uh, one of the commentators that I was reading this week said this. He said, within this passage, we see a fourfold type of human society. There's the speculator, the godly servant, the far-seeing prophet, and the cruel persecutor. He said, society today hasn't got much further than the characters we see in the story. And as we, as we look at these people, we're going to probably be able to find people in our world today, in our culture today, that are the exact same exact same things that are happening in our world today. Um, and really the big idea that we're going to see today, that we're going to be confronted with, is, is, is that when adversity comes, right, when something doesn't go our way, it reveals 
the character of the people um, in the story. Right? Um, Mike Sherman, uh, who some of you guys may not know who that is. Does anybody know who Mike Sherman is, if I say that name? Of course you don't, because none of you guys know anything about a good football team. Uh, Mike Sherman <laughs> was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers for many years. Um, and he said one time, quoting Vince Lombardi, how many of you guys know who Vince Lombardi is? A couple, of, okay, all right, the, the Lombardi Trophy, the, the winner, whoever wins the Super Bowl, they get the Lombardi Trophy. It was named after Vince Lombardi, the, the super famous Green Bay Packers head coach. Um, if you guys don't see a theme here yet, um, I'll continue to beat that horse until you get it. Um, but Mike Sherman said this, he said, I think it was Coach Lombardi that said this, adversity doesn't build character, it reveals it. And that's so true. Right? It's not that in these adverse moments that a lot of times character is built, but it's really it shows us the character that's below the surface. Right? When we go through hard things, when, when we're going through these hard moments and these kind of crazy things happen in life, um, or we're placed in the middle of something that doesn't make sense or, or goes against what we want, that's adversity. And so when adversity comes, it reveals what's below the surface. Right? Because in those moments of adversity, our true self really comes to the surface. Right? The way we react in those moments really tells a lot about who we are. Um, and so as we're going to look at this today, we're going to see that adversity reveals a lot about our faith. And so as each of these characters are put in situations, right, and the adversity that we're going to see is this drought, right? This drought is going to cause them to do some pretty uh, incredible things. Um, we're going to see how each one of these um, characters reveals differently, different parts of their faith as, as they are faced with this adversity. And so we're going to read uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 19. I've actually asked Tom uh, Houston if he would read that for us today. So, Tom, why don't you come on up? Um, and, yeah, Tom's got a much better reading voice than I do, um, and he knows English better than me. So he's going he's gonna to read. He's Hold gonna on, read come this on, stop, senor. <laughs> nice. Uh, we're in 1 uh, Kings 18 through 19 or 20, because you told me 20. So. Uh, 20. Through 20. 20, okay. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, He is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And soon as I had 
gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told by, has it not been told, my Lord, what I did? When Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Azerah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Thank you, Tom. I love that I've uh, changed his language. Tom, Tom, Tom has <laughs> joked with me for the longest time of, uh, instead of saying Baal, to say Baal, as, as a Hebrew would say. He's like, it's just so uncomfortable. And so I appreciate that effort. Um, thank you for reading that for us. So... We get, we get presented with these characters, um, and, and we were going to take an uh, in-depth look at their life and see what it, re- what it really reveals about them. Uh, and the first two I want us to look at, we're going to look at together because I think they represent one kind of uh, mentality, one sort of uh, idea here, and that's Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. And, and what we're going to see in their lives um, as, we, as we look at their lives is we're going to see that they represent those that have a misplaced faith. Now, when I was starting out um, working on the message, I was like, okay, they represent people who have no faith. But that's really not what we get in the text here. It's not that they don't have any faith. It's just they have a misplaced faith. They have it in the wrong thing. And, and the more I started to think about that, the more I started to realize that that's probably more of what we see in our culture and our world today than even people who have no faith at all. Um, I would go so far to say that we would be very hard-pressed to find someone who has absolutely no faith in anything. I think what we see a lot more often is that people have faith. It's just a misplaced faith. It's not in the one true God who who reveals himself through his son, Jesus Christ, but it's a faith in other things, right? Other things that become gods in people's lives. Uh, One person said it this way. They said, uh, everyone is following somebody. Everybody has faith in something or somebody. We are all believers. And I think that is that has probably never been more true than in our culture today. Right? As we look at the landscape of our world around us, it's just so painfully obvious that our world puts their faith in so many other things. Right? There's all these other things in the world. And, and I think for us specifically, because we live in, in the kind of rural, small town, Bible Belt South of the United States, right? we're a little bit more insulated from that. And so probably we know a lot of people that will say that they have Christian beliefs or they believe in God. But it's becoming more and more apparent, even in our culture, that people are not even identifying with that anymore. 
they're becoming a one of the what they call the nuns, right? They they put their faith in in all of these other other things, these other areas. People have uh, put put their faith in uh, a lot of different things in our world today. I think probably most prevalent in our world is people put their faith in themselves, right? I mean that's that's really the theory behind uh, what we would call skepticism today, um, right? It's it's really the theory behind. Uh, what says that, you know what, um, I believe that I'm the highest power, I'm the, I'm the greatest, I'm the, at the end of the day, it's all about me, um, right? And there's a, there's a very, very pressing mentality around that today. And so one of the things that we're going to see, and right, we see it in the life of Ahab specifically, is that when people have misplaced faith, right, they often turn to their own strength in times of adversity, Right, so they're going along life, and adversity comes, and, and instead of turning to putting their trust in God, they have the idea that I'm just gonna just kind of throw it on my back, and I'm just gonna take care of it. I'm gonna do whatever I need to do. Um, at the end of the day, I'm gonna be my own savior, and I'm gonna make this thing happen. And that's what we see, right? This drought comes, this drought happens, and what does Elijah do, uh, or what does Ahab do? Right? Ahab could have, in this moment, turned back to God and, and, and yelled out as in uh, as Elijah did in desperation for God to save him. But he's like, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself, right? Look what he says. This is in uh, uh, verse uh, 5 and 6 of 18. He goes to uh, Obadiah, who is his servant. Obadiah works for Ahab. And he says, hey, we're going to go throughout the land and we're going to go to all the springs and the waters and the places that, that we know that water normally is. And we might find grass there so that we can save the horses and the mules alive and not lose those, uh, those animals that we have, right? And so he, he comes up with this plan. He's going to go to one half of the kingdom. Obadiah is going to go to the other half. And they're going to go to these places that, that historically they found water in the past. And what this represents is a picture of, of Ahab saying, you know what, God? Yeah, you might send your drought, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it myself. And so he goes and he... And, he, and they go out and they, and they go to search for places uh, where they can find water. You see, uh, I don't think that our culture today, I don't think even in America that we're very far off from this idea either, right? When, when adversity happens to us, right, um, I think even what we call our American mindset says that, you know what, I, I can do it myself, right? I don't need anybody to help me. I'll just figure it out. I'll either work harder or do more and I can just figure it out, Right? Our, our culture has embraced the idea of this kind of radical individualism, um, right? Our culture has embraced this idea that, um, that, that what the individual thinks is way more important than the good of the group. Um, our culture has embraced the idea that um, if, if an individual just works hard enough, sacrifices enough, and does enough, then they can accomplish anything that they want to. And so where that leads us then to is a place of, well, I don't even need God anymore. Why do I need to call out to God when I can just do it myself, right? We've kind of built even cozy, comfortable lives for ourselves so that we're not even dependent on God anymore to provide for our needs. I remember uh, a couple of months back when we were studying through the Lord's Prayer, one of the parts of that that we studied was give us this day our daily bread, right? And one of the things that we talked about was sometimes we are so comfortable and have positioned our lives so much that we don't even need God to provide our daily bread because we've, we've kind of built that for ourselves. We've built our lives up to the point where we've really kind of built God out of the picture. And misplaced faith can often lead us 
to relying on our own strength and our own abilities. Same, same way with Ahab. So much so to the point that Ahab didn't even care about the well-being of, of his people that he was responsible for. Right? Uh, one, one of the older commentators, I love, I love older commentators because they can say things that I can't say today in the same way that I can say it. But when you know that it's an older commentator, it's like, man, that guy is just so cool for saying that, right? Listen to what he says. Um, this is uh, F.B. Meyer. He says this. He says, we might have supposed that Ahab would have set himself to alleviate the miseries of his people. And above all, that he would have turned back to God. But no, his one thought was about the horses and the mules of his stud. His only care was how to save them alive. What selfishness is here? Mules and donkeys before his people, seeking grass instead of seeking God. Right? And that's really the heartbeat of what we saw. When adversity comes, Ahab cared more about his, his animals right, and, and, and the well-being of that than he did for his people. If he cared about his people, he would have turned back to God, just like just like Elijah had told him to. Oftentimes, when people have misplaced faith, they also um, we'll see in here is they often oppose others with faith that have a different faith than them. This is what we get in the story of of Jezebel, right? Jezebel, right, had her faith in. Baal and the Ashereth and, and all these different things, right? So much so that it drove her to the point of killing those that were followers of Yahweh, right? Um, that we, we kind of get that between, between the text here and the stories that, that, that we get to hear about Obadiah. Um, as Obadiah was, was saving these prophets, he had to save them because Jezebel was going and literally killing people who were, who were praising the name of God, right? And she killed all of them but about a hundred of those prophets, of those true worshipers. And I just want to remind us that like, we live in a culture today um, where opposition comes to our faith as well, right? Uh, now, we probably don't experience this sort of persecution for our faith, but we have brothers and sisters in the world right now that are experiencing this and more, right? Um, places across, um, across the ocean where, where people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, it's costing their lives, Right? in the name of other faiths. And so you have uh, people of, of different faiths that are now persecuting Christians in other places. Um, probably the one we're most familiar with is, is, is followers of, of this radical Islam, right? We've seen a lot of places where, where there's just massive killings of, of Christians or people who, who don't convert or follow uh, this faith. We also see it in, in India uh, with the Hindu religion. Um, it's even been known to, to be seen in, in even something as peaceful or as said as peaceful as the Buddhist religion. Right, that if, if if you don't follow what we want you to follow, then we're just going to kill you, right? And I think sometimes when when adversity comes, um, a lot of times people who have their faith in something other than the than the God of of the Bible, than the God who says that that He loves people and loves them so much that He would send His Son, um, we can we can see that it, that that great opposition comes in those moments. But then, then finally, uh, people who have misplaced faith often blame others for their adversity, right? And we see this again from Ahab, right? When, when Elijah finally meets up with Ahab, right, in this, in this kind of epic moment when they come back together, right? What, is, what, is, uh, what does Ahab say? He says, is it you, you troubler of Israel, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, just think about, think about that. What a paradox that is, right? What a, what a like, really? He's calling Elijah the troubler of Israel? 
right? When ultimately this whole drought was because of Ahab's rejection of God. It's interesting, uh, Ross pointed out to me, uh, as we were meeting this week, he pointed out to me that this word troubler of Israel, this phrase troubler of Israel, um, is actually used in another place in scripture. Um, if, we, if we look at 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, um, Achan, okay, so this is giving an account of different people. It says, Achan, the troubler of Israel, who broke faith in the matter of devoted things. Um, if you guys remember in the story, uh, when God's people and the Israelites finally get into the promised land, right? And God tells them to go in, and he tells them to destroy certain things, certain devoted things. And there was a man named Achan, and Achan, instead of destroying them, kept those for himself. He hid those and kept them for, them, for himself. Well, what happens in the, in the rest of the story is that God's wrath actually comes against all of the nation of Israel. Not just on Achan, but on the whole nation of Israel. And it's very interesting that, um, that as they are writing about Achan, they use this term, troubler of Israel. And that's what Ahab used to call Elijah, troubler of Israel, right? Because in the same way, right, in the same way that Achan's sin... Um, not following, not listening to God caused all of this uh, wrath to happen on the people of God. The same thing is happening with, with Ahab, right? Because of Ahab's sin, because Ahab won't turn back to God, now the whole nation, the whole land is experiencing this drought, this adversity. So it's really funny that that's the phrase that Ahab goes and, and calls him to. Essentially, Ahab is pointing the finger, right? Because in Ahab's mind, and this is what we get from some of the commentators, he's thinking that, that Baal, this, this foreign god who's the weather god, is not sending rain because of Elijah, right? And so he's just pointing the finger, pointing the finger. And I think a lot of times when we have our misplaced faith, when we have our faith placed in something else, it's easy for us just to point the finger, right? And one of the things that, one of the pictures that you get in, in Scripture and one of the things that we know in our life um, especially before we came to, to follow Jesus, is we know that when, when you're living in sin, it has a way of blinding you, right? Like, it has a way of blinding you. Um, and, and, and I've had that experience in my life um, on multiple occasions of trying to share something that was so obvious with somebody, and they just didn't see it. You guys ever been there? Like, you've tried to share something, especially if you come to sharing the gospel, and, like, from your perspective, it's so clear, and it makes sense, and it's so obvious, and you go to share it with them, and they just look at you like, like they have no idea what you're saying, right? You guys been there before, right? Well, the Bible tells us this because when people are in sin, it's like they're in darkness. They can't see the truth of the light. John, um, the apostle John, in, in his letter, First John Chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. He says, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness, right? He's, he's talking in the greater context of people who are in sin. He says and that person walks in darkness, and he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And I think that's, that's true a lot of times when, when we're in the midst of that. It's hard for us to see that. Um, I think we probably all have experienced either ourselves being the person or we all know someone um, who, as we can look at their life, and this isn't about being judgmental, this is just about observing their life, we see certain things in people's lives that is causing pain and destruction in their life. But that person, like, they just don't see it at all, right? Um, and a lot of times, those people have their faith placed in something else, whether it's themselves, whether it's kind of this American dream of just having enough money. And it's like, the more they try, um, the more they try to earn, the more they try to get, thinking that their life is going to be happier, the sadder and sadder they become, 
right? I mean, there's a reason that they tell us that we are the most depressed generation in the, in the course of history, right? And I think that's because we've, we've tried to put our faith in something. We've, we've misplaced our faith in something that's never going to fulfill us in that way. And so what can we learn from the life of Ahab and Jezebel, right? Those that have misplaced faith. I think what we learn is that often those with misplaced faith, that there are consequences for those choices, right? There's consequences. We're going to see that here um, with, with Ahab, right? The consequence was not just for Ahab, but it was also for those that were around him. The whole nation was experiencing this drought in this moment because of the choices of Ahab and, and, and Jezebel. And I think we, we see that in the lives of people who put their faith in something other than God. And so let's take a minute. Um, I want us to, to, to pause and have a little discussion um, kind of around this idea um, and, and, and talk about this. What are the things in our culture uh, or what are the things that our culture places their faith in other than Jesus today? Right. What are some of those misplaced faiths within our culture um, and so let's just talk for a couple minutes about that. We'll come back together and we'll look at Obadiah. So we looked at, we looked at misplaced faith, um, but now I want to look at um, this character that I told you earlier that I've just become kind of fascinated with, his life. And that's this guy, Obadiah. Obadiah. And Obadiah is going to represent somebody that has a waning faith, right? Um, when, I, when I first read the story, um, kind of in preparation, I kind of thought of Obadiah as kind of this like weak faith person. Uh, but the more and more that I studied his life and got to know about him, that's really not what we get with Obadiah. He's really not a, a weak faith person, but he's someone who's experiencing a waning in their faith, um, a, a moment, that a dip within his faith. So you think Obadiah represents something that, um, uh, as I was thinking about this week, um, that there's, there's a phrase... And if you guys ever have watched the old Transformers, and you guys ever watched the, I'm not talking Michael Bay, I'm talking like the original Transformers, like the animated, right? And so it would say, it would say Transformers, robots in disguise, right? But there was always this little phrase in there that was what? Does anybody remember? More than meets the eye, right? There's something going on about these Transformers that's more than just what we see with our eyes, right? And we obviously know that that was that they weren't just these vehicles, but they turned into these robots that could talk and do all this kind of crazy stuff. Um... However, right, Obadiah is kind of the same thing. Like, on, on the first kind of look at Obadiah's life, it's kind of like, man, this guy, like, when Elijah meets him, he's just kind of given all these excuses of why he can't go and tell the king that, that, um, that uh, Elijah wants to meet him. But what we're going to see is that Obadiah's life, I believe, is probably going to represent the majority of us today. I think what we're going to see in Obadiah's life is going to be something that for probably a lot of us in this room, we experience in our life, and that's these moments of kind of waning faith, waning faith. Um, and so just to give a little context about Obadiah, because he is a new character. He's not someone that we really know. Um, Obadiah is kind of one of these, I like to call him a person of the margin, right? We don't get a whole lot about Obadiah's life. We don't know a whole lot about him. He's not a main character. He's not a Moses or a David or one of these that we would, you know, he's not the one that your kid's going to dress up for at the, the Bible party, dress up costume party, and like, hey, I'm Obadiah. And they'd be like, who is that? Right? Like, he's just not one of those people that, that we're going to see from the Bible. He's probably not going to be the character that you're going to be like, man, I am just a, I'm an Obadiah. I'm an Obadiah in an Ahab world. You know, like, that's just not, we're not going to write a book about him. We're not going to spend much time about him, right? Because he's a person of the margin, 
Um, it's I heard uh, I heard the comparison this week. It's it's much like if you ever go outside on a really really dark night, on a really really clear night, um, and you're kind of away from the city, which. I mean, we don't really ever have to worry about that here, right? Um, but if you ever go outside and you look up, right, and it's a super clear, starry night, right, what you notice is that you don't notice usually, um, you know, any particular stars, but you notice the plethora of stars, right? And there may be a few big stars out there that, like, we like to point to or, or things like that, um, but it's these tiny little, millions of tiny little stars that kind of paint the picture of the glory and the grandeur of God. And that's kind of what Obadiah becomes. He becomes a person of the margin, not a, not a chief person in the story, but certainly someone who points to the glory of God in his life. His name, Obadiah, means worshiper of Yahweh or servant of Yahweh. Um, this is probably not the same Obadiah that we find in the Minor Prophets. Um, there's some debate about that, but probably not the same guy. Uh, this Obadiah, um, as far as we know, um, he was a, a servant in the household of Ahab, right? He was over the household of Ahab. He was a servant um, a household governor, so he kind of ran uh, the things that were happening in Ahab's household, um, and and so he was kind of one of those those guys. Um, he was kind of over the affairs. However, what we find out though is even though he was working for this evil king, right, this king that was trying to lead the whole nation away, Obadiah still remained true to his faith in God in the midst of all of this, right. We find out, uh, Jeremiah wants us to know, even before we before Obadiah says it, um, like if you look at verse uh, 3, you'll see that there's a little parenthesis in there. And, and that's, Jeremiah wants us to know, he wants his readers to know, <coughs> as we introduce to this new guy, that even though he worked for him, it said, now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And so when Jezebel cut off the prophets, Obadiah took a hundred of them and hid them by the fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Obadiah represents in this in this story, he represents someone who who worked for this evil king, but yet still remained true to God, right? And I think historically, sometimes Obadiah has received some criticism, right? People have said things like, "How could you truly be a worshiper of God, but yet still still work for this evil king?" Right? That just seems like why wouldn't you just leave and maybe go down to the southern kingdom where they're a lot more faithful to God? But I think what Obadiah represents for us is the reality that God calls us, right, to be lights within a dark world, right? Obadiah was able to shine even working for this evil king. You've probably heard the phrase before that we're to be in the world but not of the world. I was, I was reading a little bit about that this week, and uh, I like what, what one guy said. He said, I think a better phrase of that is to say that we are not to be of the world, but we are sent into the world, I love that idea because it's, it's such a missional mindset, right? Like, like we're not supposed to look like the world, but yet we're sent into the world to bring the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and Obadiah, he is a, a light sent into a very dark kingdom, into a very dark time in the, in the history of Israel to be a light for the one true God. <clears throat> in fact, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus even picks up on this theme. In John chapter 17, um, when he is, is saying, this is his, his, his prayer for his followers. Um, and, and listen to the words that Jesus uses for his followers. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
And so I think what this what this represents, thank you. I think what this represents is a picture of someone who is a light in the midst of a dark world. See, God doesn't want to remove us from this world, but wants to use us in the midst of this world, right? And so I just think about, as we just look at this part of Obadiah's life, I just wonder, like, what is our mission? What is God calling us? How is God calling us to, to go into a dark world and to be a light, right? But Obadiah, he represents this, this person who has waning faith, right? Um, and so what we're going to see in Obadiah's life is that he, he starts out really strong, and then there's this moment, right, where his faith kind of buckles for a minute. Um, and, and I think that's true for a lot of us. I think a lot of us, uh, especially those of us maybe who grew up in church, um, a lot of us, like, we, we had those moments where we started out really, really strong, and then at some point in life we kind of hit this uh, this, this adversity or something in the road, and, and sometimes that adversity will cause us for a moment to just kind of buckle in our faith for a minute, to have a wane in our faith. And that's what we see here with Obadiah. Um, but, but a couple of quick observations, um, and then we just see this in Obadiah's life. I think they're also true uh, for a lot of us. Uh, and the first is this. People with waning faith often start out strong, right? We find out here in, in verse 12 um, that Obadiah says, I have been a fearer of God. He was a God-fearer. From his youth, right? From his youth, he has feared God. And I think that's, a, that's something to be celebrated. Um, I think that's something that's, that's important for us. I, that's something that, I've, that I'm realizing more and more over the last few years of my life. I used to think that, man, my life, I had such a boring testimony. I used to think, man, my testimony is just so boring because, like, I've, I've always been in church. Like, my parents brought me to church when I was like six weeks old, and I've been there pretty much every Sunday since that point in my life. Um, and and I came to know God and start following Him when I was thirteen, right? And 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 in my story, at least, there wasn't too many awful things that I had done at the point of thirteen. Now, obviously, we know that that there was obviously still sin in my life, and that that, that I needed saving from that. But, but I'd meet people who had this just dramatic testimony, right, who maybe became saved or who, who were saved later on in life. And they just had this incredible story of God, how God had just radically saved them um, out from these, like, crazy situations. And I was often, like, I would often find myself just being jealous of those stories, right, because they were just so impactful. And in recent years, one of the things that God has been just telling me is that there, is a, there should be a joy in the fact of knowing and walking with the Lord for a long, long time for having that legacy of faith in your life, for having that, 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 you, that I had godly parents that would pass that down, and that I've known God for, for, for most all of my life and followed him. And there's a joy in that. And we see that Obadiah, that was the same way. Even from his youth, he has always feared God and, and followed God. A lot of times people who have waning faith often will have moments, right? These big moments when they have trusted God, right? These big moments. We go back one slide, Chad. Uh, one more. There we go. Um, I've often had moments where they trusted God in the past, right? We learned that about Obadiah. Obadiah had this moment where Jezebel was cutting off and killing all the prophets of the Lord. And Obadiah risked his life, right? He risked his life to hide these prophets away. He risked his life to bring food into water so that these prophets could survive. And I think for a lot of us probably in this room, especially those of us who have been following Jesus for a really long time, like we've, we've had those moments, like if we can even tell you stories 
of those moments that we've seen God do some incredible things in our life, right? But then, thirdly, often people with waning faith will allow adversity to overcome that faith. And I think that's exactly what we see in the life of Obadiah. He's this guy who, even though he... He had this moment, right? He was a follower of God from early on. And he had this moment where he was so faithful and he trusted God by hiding these prophets. In our passage today, when he's confronted, right? When this adversity of, go tell the king that Elijah wants to meet with you, right? We see that he has this kind of shaken in his faith moment, right? We see this wane in his faith moment. You see, because Obadiah knew that the king... Right, if the king heard that that Elijah was in town, that he would he would he would send out a search to find Elijah, and if he couldn't find him, then who do you think was going to get punished for that? Obadiah, right? And he knew enough about King Ahab to know that this was not a nice dude, right? He knew enough about Ahab to know that man, this guy, this guy is not a nice nice guy. He is going to end my life if if I say that Elijah is here and then he can't find him, right? And so Elijah, in our story, as Tom read, Elijah goes up to him to meet Obadiah, and he meets him out as he's out in the middle looking for, for some water. He meets up with Obadiah, and he's like, hey, I want you to go tell King Ahab that I'm here, and I want to meet with him, right? And Obadiah's like, dude, do you realize what's going to happen? Like, if I go and tell him this, and then God were to, like, bring you up and just kind of, you know, you were to disappear, right? And then they can't find you. Who do you think, whose head's going to be on the chopping block? He's like, it's going to be me. And he has this moment, right? He has this moment where he's kind of shaken in his faith. He's discouraged in, in his faith. And I think for a lot of us, right, for a lot of us, we've, we've experienced that waning moment, right? Like there's been seasons of our life that we've been so faithful and so trusting in God, and we've seen God do some incredible things in our life. But then we get to another moment, and there's maybe adversity, or, or maybe God's calling us to, like with Chris Angel, like, put it on the line and share our faith with somebody. And we just have this moment of like, oh man, I don't know that I can trust God. I've seen him in the past, but I don't know that I can trust him. And we just kind of allow our faith to wane for a moment. And I think, I think we learned two things from Obadiah's life just quickly. It's just kind of two little quick perspective things. One, one is that, uh, that there's always a story behind the story. And so as we meet people and as we interact with people and as we talk with people, we have to realize that we may be meeting somebody, right? Sometimes we meet an Obadiah in the moment where he's hiding the prophets and he's super faithful, right? And those people are pretty obvious. But sometimes we're meeting an Obadiah in the midst of what we have in our, in our story here, right? Someone who has a legacy of faith, someone who has, who has trusted God in the past but is struggling, so it's really easy sometimes for us to just judge those people, right? And I think it's important that we get to know them and get to know their story because a lot of times there's a story behind the story. There's something going on behind the story that we don't always see. And secondly, we also need to make sure that if we are that Obadiah, right, in, in that situation, that we need to have a correct perspective. The problem for Obadiah wasn't that he didn't trust God, that he wasn't a fearer of God, that he somehow gave up his, his trust in God. He was just allowing the weight of that adversity of that moment to overshadow everything else he could see, right? And I say this often, but I think a lot of times we need to kind of jump out and have that 30,000-foot view of our lives and see the bigger picture of the hand of God and what God's doing in our world around us to help us get a better perspective. 
And I think that's exactly what needs to happen with Obadiah. We're actually going to see that that's kind of what Elijah comes and, and tells Obadiah to do, is to, to look around and, and to be encouraged. And so I want us to take a couple more minutes and talk about this, because I think this is something that probably a lot of us in this room have experienced. Um, and so how do we respond then when adversity comes? When we get in those moments of adversity, in those moments where maybe God is calling us to step out of our comfort zone uh, or things don't go the way we want to, right? How do we respond? Do we respond like the Obadiah who is, who is hiding the prophets and faithful? Or do we respond like the Obadiah when he's called to confront the king and we, we just kind of start to question and shirk back from that? So let's take a couple minutes, talk about that, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up by looking at Elijah and see what Elijah does uh, in this story as well. So, so one of the things that came out in the discussion in our group, um, and, and that's what I love about having this group discussion time, is because like, it just allows other people to have like, thoughts and ideas and bring some experience to things that like, sometimes when I'm studying and stuff that I, that I just like, don't even think about. And, and one of the, one of the, the ideas that came out um, from our group was just saying that... Um, you know, one of the reasons that community is so important is because it does help us in those moments when our faith is waning to have somebody that would encourage us to have the right perspective, right? Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking about was I wonder if in this moment, if that's why, um, again, the text doesn't tell us, but I wonder if maybe that's why Obadiah is waning in this moment. If all of the prophets, except for maybe a hundred of them, right, all the followers of God at this point have been cut off and he's kind of serving this king and he's got no community to encourage him and he's just kind of seeing the circumstances in the world and he's seeing like just this, this, this worship of this false God just growing and growing and growing, if that's what's causing his faith to wane in this moment, right? He doesn't have that. Um, and often we'll see that people who have waning faith, they often need encouragement. And that's exactly what Elijah does in this story. Right? That's exactly the picture that Elijah comes in here and, and encourages him is that Elijah plays the role of someone with strong faith. Right? And so what we'll see in Elijah's life is that people with strong faith rely on God in times of adversity. Right? They rely on God in those times of adversity. See, kind of back picture of the story here is Elijah had been waiting for three and a half years for this moment. Right? If we remember back to the very, very first week we talked about Elijah, right? we talked about how he had this moment right, where God called him out of obscurity and sent him right to the palace to call out the king. And then God called him to go back into obscurity. And so Elijah's just been waiting for three and a half years. Right? And through this whole time of waiting, he's just been trusting God and God's been training him and showing him these, these things. And it just has built his confidence in God. And so when we, as we get to in the, in the, in the first, uh, first verse here of chapter 18, when the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year say, that says, go show yourself to Ahab so that I'll send the rain again, we see that Elijah goes and does it, right? He goes and he does it, right? And we don't get any hint that there's hesitation here, right? So Elijah goes and he, and he goes and he's basically like, he goes to Obadiah and he's like, hey, I want you to tell King Ahab that Elijah says, what's up? I'm coming, right? Like, it's this, like, epic moment, right? Um, it it kind of, I don't know why, it made me think about this. Um, and I wish, oh, there's Holly. Uh, she would appreciate this. Um, it made me think about middle school boys uh, later time in middle school, right? But if you ever, like, one of the things that always cracks me up about middle school guys is uh, they they get together. If you've ever been in that, that moment and uh, they're, they're about to have like a, a middle school fight, right? It's about to go down, right? And then it's two guys and they're standing in a circle and they're like, what's up? What's up? 
I said, what's up? What's, but no one wants to like throw the first hit, you know, because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. And like, this, this was not this moment. Elijah was like, hey, you go and tell King Ahab that, that I'm coming. Elijah's coming and, and I want to meet him, right? And we see this. And it wasn't just Elijah being like super confident in himself, but he's being super confident in God. And so he goes and he, and he finds Obadiah and says, hey, tell Elijah that I'm, that I'm coming. Or tell Ahab that I'm coming. We often see that people who have strong faith also call out those that are opposed to their faith, right? He stands up in this moment, right? He calls out Ahab for his sin. I love verse 18, right? So Ahab had just called Elijah the troubler of Israel. And I love his response. He's like, I've not troubled Israel, but you have. And not only you, but your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed these false gods, these Baals. Boom. Right? I know, boom, right? <laughs> like, like, he's like, I'm not just going to call you out. I'm calling your daddy out. Because your daddy wasn't following the Lord either. Right? Like, it was kind of one of these moments, like, my daddy can beat up your daddy kind of thing. Um, I've never been one of those. Like, my dad was, like, 5'6", and, like, the most, like, like docile, calm, cool, collected guy um, most of the time. Right? So I was never kind of one of those guys. But that's just kind of what I picture here. He's like, he's like I'm not going to allow you to tell these lies and just keep spreading these lies. Right? But I'm going to put the truth back where it needs to be. And it's, it's, it's not me that's troubling Israel, but it's you and what you've called the people away from following God. And so people with strong faith are often called uh, or often will call out those that are opposed to faith. But then finally, and I think this is, this is probably where um, a lot of application needs to happen in our life, is that people with strong faith also call up those that are in the midst of waning in their faith, right? Um, they call them up. They encourage them. Um, they, 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 they encourage them. Elijah here in this moment, right? Uh, look, at verse, look at verse 15. Elijah says, As the Lord of host lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Right? And I love what Elijah does. He doesn't just go to Obadiah and say, you know what? Just do it, man. You just need to do this. Right? Just, just trust me. It's going to happen. Right? Because he knows that that's not going to be enough. But he reminds him of who it is that's really calling him to do this thing. Right? He's reminding Obadiah that there's more, there's something bigger that's happening in this moment than the two of them. That the God, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven, Yahweh, he goes with us, right? He's the one. He's the fire. He's the fuel behind this. Don't trust me. Trust him. And I think in those moments when we interact with people and we have brothers and sisters who are, who are waning in their faith, who are struggling in their faith, who are having those moments, right? It's our job as the church, as their brothers and sisters, to come alongside of them and remind them, Hey, brother, let me put my arm around you, right? Let me walk with you through this moment. And let me just remind you, it's not you in this moment. It's not me in this moment, but it's the Lord who's calling you to do this, right? And I, and I, think, that's, I think that's the role that we need to play in the lives of each other. Paul picks up on this uh, theme in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says this, And we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idol, right? That's kind of the calling up. Uh, calling out, calling up, right? Those that are idle, like, you need to tell them, don't be idle, right? You need to do something. But look look what he says next. But encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. 
Oh, yeah, and be patient with all, right? Uh, that's probably a whole sermon right there, um, right? But this idea that we're going to come along people who have been through some moments in their faith walk, right? That's why we need to realize that when we interact with people and we see their lives, we need to understand that there's more behind the story, right? There's more going on often in people's lives than we can see in that moment. And so sometimes God's calling us to come along and encourage the faint-hearted, come walk alongside one of the phrases I heard this week in our life group, somebody said that when we have somebody who's not following Jesus, we need to come alongside of them and, and lead them into a deeper walk with Christ. And I think that's our picture, right? As, as, as we are walking along and we see a brother or sister who's struggling in their faith, it may not be the moment we just completely just come and just call out everything that's wrong in their life and just kind of lay this heavy burden on them. But maybe we just kind of walk beside them, right? And show them how to walk and how to follow Christ more deeply in their life. Author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 24, I love this. Remember, he's talking, this is about the church, right? This is the, 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 the point of the church. This is what he says. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, right? This is what we should be about. When we come together, it shouldn't be about um, getting at each other and discouraging, but like we're called to love one another and encourage each other, right? I mean, like, are our conversations, right, around each other like, man, how are you loving your community well? How are you serving the Lord well today in your life, right? Like, like that's what we should be about as a community, as a church. Like, that's what gets me really excited is, is when I hear conversations of, of, of you guys encouraging one another in your walks with the Lord. Like, that's what the church should be about. So let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, Right? What the author of Hebrews knew is that as this world gets further and further away from the Lord, the more and more the church is going to need each other. The more and more we're going to need to lean in and encourage one another. So I just wonder today, um, I wonder today as we as we kind of looked at the life of these three individuals, um, you know, and just kind of knowing our church body, um, that's one of the things I love about like having this personal interaction and knowing our church body um, I would say that probably most of us are not in that first category of, of misplaced faith, even though I think we can have that tendency sometimes, right? We can sometimes allow our focus or our attention to get off of those things that are not God. Um, but there may be, right? And so if that's you today and, like, you acknowledge, like, today that, man, I am putting my faith in something other than Jesus. I would just encourage you, man, get with a brother or sister in Christ and let them encourage you in that. Let them talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about how you can just completely put your faith and trust in Jesus and make him the center of everything. Um, or there may be somebody in this room in your life that, that, that you can have that conversation with. Um, however, I feel like a lot of us probably are in the place of Obadiah, right? We've had those seasons, or maybe we're in the midst of one of those seasons where our faith is kind of waning. And so in this moment, as we're struggling, man, we just need to surround ourselves, right, with, with Elijah type of people, with brothers and sisters that are going to encourage us. They're going to build us up. They're going to tell us the truth, right? Not just what we want to hear, but what we need to hear, right? Um, that's one thing I love about our community of people is that I feel like I get to surround myself with people who just don't, who don't always just tell me what I want to hear, but tell me what I need to hear. And that's, that's what I really love about the church and, and the body of the church is, is, is having people that will do that. And so maybe for some of us, like, we just need to sit down with a trusted friend and just have that conversation and just say, you know what, I'm, I'm waiting right now. I'm struggling in my faith, and I just need you to remind me of the truth, right? I need you maybe even to hold me accountable um, in that, in that, in my walk. 
But then for some of us, we need to be that Elijah type of person to somebody else, right? We probably have somebody in our life that we can come alongside of and encourage, remind of the truth, that we can say, you know what, I know this walk is hard, I know it's not easy, but let me remind you, let me point you to God, right? Let me point you to Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, Chad, this is back a few slides, uh, I skipped it a minute ago, but Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 2 and 3, um, back a few more. Thanks. I love I love this, um, and this should be our this should be our goal. This should be our 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 motto in our life, right? It says, "Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him, so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted." I think that's an encouragement this moment of like, man, when I'm struggling and all of that, just we got to point people to Jesus. That's what they need. They don't need more of what I have to say. They don't need more of my advice or my good wisdom or whatever I can come with, come up in the moment. They need to be pointed to Jesus. He's the one that did it right. He's the one that has it. He's the one that's got the power to, to get them through that moment. And so, so my prayer for us as a body is just that we would do that, right? We would, we would look to Jesus. We would consider Jesus. We would put everything that we think about and hope for on Jesus. Because what I know is that when we live out our faith, it will impact others, right? That's what we see from Elijah's life, is that by Elijah trusting in God, it had an impact on Obadiah, right? We see in the story, Obadiah went and told the king what he needed to tell him. And so if we live our life and we put our trust in God, we're going to affect other people's. We're going to impact other people's life. And the result is going to be bringing glory to God. So that's what I got for today, for, for, for this passage um, tomorrow, up uh, tomorrow, uh, next week, we will be looking kind of at this epic story uh, that we're probably all familiar with of this kind of like epic God moment where, where it's kind of a show, showdown between God and Elijah and these, these false prophets uh, and their false God. And so uh, I would encourage you to bring somebody with you. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, I didn't know whether I was going to give it away or just wait, but, but Ross is going to be teaching next week. So um, like bring your notepads. Um, you're going to get some, some helpful things that, and that's why, like we were talking and Ross is like, man, I love this story. I'm like, dude, you, you take this one. Um, cause when somebody has a passion for something, like we want to, we want to allow them to do that. So Ross is going to be teaching next week. Um, bring somebody with you, bring somebody who may need to hear that, who need to be encouraged, uh, by that story. Uh, we'd love for you guys to do that. Um, so let's pray. And then Ross and Holly are going to come and lead us in one last song. Um, as we kind of wrap up our time together today. God, thank you for today. Thank you for, uh, God, your prophet Elijah. Thank you for Obadiah. God, thank you for the story um, that we have in your word. That God is not just uh, an ancient narrative, God, but, but something that is so true in our lives today. God, I pray that we would be faithful people. I pray that, that we would be like Elijah, that we would come along and encourage God, but also realize that we may have Obadiah moments in our life. God, I pray in those moments that we would seek out brothers and sisters that would encourage us in our faith. Go with us as we leave today, God. May, this, may our word, uh, may our time in the word, God, not just end on Sunday morning, God, but may that just be the encouragement we need to take it throughout the rest of our week. God, we love you. Thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.